Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We are aware of the court decision. We have discussed it with the Prime Minister, with cabinet colleagues, with senior federal government officials and experts. We respect very much Canada's independent judiciary. However, we do not agree with this decision. That uh, clip from Christian Freeland, the Deputy Prime Minister, Finance Minister. We respect the independence of the court, and I knew it was coming. However, no. The statement is we respect the independence and the freedom of the court. It doesn't get followed with, however, in an immediate federal government reaction to a decision taken by the federal court, and that decision was that the Trudeau government's invoking of the Emergencies Act during the Freedom Convoy activities in Ottawa and elsewhere in Canada was a violation of every Canadian's charter rights, each and every Canadian's charter rights. Joanna Barron is the executive director of the Canadian Constitution Foundation. They filed a court challenge against invoking the Emergencies Act. Joanna, thank you for coming on the program. How are you? Great to be with you, Roy. So when you first became aware that the federal government had, in fact, invoked the Emergencies Act, you're a lawyer, it had been talked about for days. What was your reaction? My reaction was that it was a massive overreach and it was likely unconstitutional. We had been studying the threshold for the invocation of the act. and We knew that there were very specific legal standards that could not be clearer that hadn't been met, particularly because maybe we'll get into this. Some of the more uh, worrisome aspects of the convoy movement, like, for example, the discovery of a weapons cache at Coots, the blockade of the Ambassador Bridge, those had both already been resolved under ordinary police powers by the time the act was invoked on February 14, 2022. So we knew that it was suspect. We were agog, though, to hear that it was even worse than what we expected. Um, it wasn't just that the government, the federal government, was invoking the Emergencies Act, but they also were bringing in new measures, inventing new criminal laws, such as freezing bank accounts without a warrant. Um, we did not particularly see that coming, um, but that's why we were the first group uh, a day or so after the invocation of the act to announce uh, a court challenge. And uh, you can find uh, the Canadian Constitution Foundation at the ccf.ca on your website. And let's talk about this. Ten key passages from the case, which uh, the judge ruled on. And before, before we do that, um, Christine Van Gein, who is your colleague at the Canadian Constitution Foundation, uh, wrote in an op-ed in the National Post that the federal court decision was a, quote, massive repudiation of the liberal government. And yet we have the deputy prime minister standing up and saying, and I'm paraphrasing here, I'm pretty close, that uh, we respect the independence of the, of the court. However, that, that troubles me. The however troubles me, Joanna. Yeah, I think it's Salman Rushdie who said you should ignore everything that somebody says before that, however. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so true. Okay, so let's talk about, and you have 10 key passages from the case, 
And I would like to hear your thoughts and share them with our listeners across the country. And the number one point, and expand on these please for us, cabinet was not owed extraordinary deference when interpreting the act. It wasn't up to them. Yeah, so this was one of the most shocking things at the hearing, which was last April in Ottawa. The government lawyers argued that because cabinet is, as they put it, an apex decision maker, and they were responding to a fast-moving situation, essentially the judge should entirely defer to their judgment. Um, And we agreed that cabinet is owed deference. That's how our judicial system works, that we understand that the executive are tasked with making fast decisions. However, the Emergencies Act also has very clear and very clearly articulated statutory guidelines. So just to say that we're going to give you some deference, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to judge in hindsight 2020. Nevertheless, when Cabinet was making the decision to invoke the act, they knew that the Emergencies Act had very specific requirements. And Justice Mosley ended up concluding that they could not reasonably have found that the requirements of the Emergencies Act were met. And as you began to speak about during the very beginning of our conversation, there was no national emergency within the meaning of the act at the time it was invoked. Yeah. So on that point, uh, there is the ability when the federal government decides to invoke an emergency to specify, you know, in, in certain areas of the country, but the government actually found that there was an emergency across the country. And Justice Mosley found that pretty much the situation um, was limited at this point to Ottawa and the national capital region because the Ambassador Bridge had been dealt with, Coots had been dealt with. So there was not a national emergency. And this really matters because the measures that the government took once it had invoked the emergency indeed applied across the country. You could have a police officer stop you um, from gathering in a peaceful protest in Victoria, B.C. You could have your bank account frozen in Prince Edward Island. Um, And this was in relation to a situation that at this point was confined to Ottawa. Yeah. And the situation in Ottawa, I think, became very evident to many, if not most Canadians, really was a failure of not proper deployment of police resources. It didn't require the military, or it might have at some point, but uh, it didn't, it, it wasn't a proper deployment of police resources, and it certainly was not a national emergency by itself. Yes. And so there you have a pretty interesting contrast in findings as between Justice Rouleau, who came out with his uh, commission report about a year ago, who ended up finding that on balance, uh, the government could have reasonably concluded a national emergency existed. Uh, And Rouleau really leans a lot on this breakdown in policing. And he says, I understand there were other laws available, but because we had this massive breakdown in communication and leadership functionally, we need the government could have found they needed the, the act. And Justice Mosley says, no, that's not how that works. You cannot invoke the Emergencies Act as a memorable line just because it's convenient. Um, I think there was a policing witness at the POAC, at the Rouleau Commission, who the way she put it, or he put it, I can't remember, was that the Emergencies Act, quote unquote, greased the wheels. Um, that's not how the Emergencies Act is supposed to work. It's not supposed to grease the wheels and make police uh, more more adept at doing their job. It's supposed to be a tool of last resort responding to a situation that cannot be addressed by any other law in Canada. You know, I was stunned by the fact 
the Premier of Ontario, Mr. Ford, even following the decision, it wasn't an opinion, which uh, Mr. Gibo liked to suggest the Supreme Court decision concerning the No More Pipelines Act was, wasn't an opinion, the federal court passed a decision, and yet Mr. Ford stood up and he said he stands shoulder to shoulder with Mr. Trudeau on the invoking of the Emergencies Act. Somebody's not reading uh, laws, somebody's not paying close attention, Joanna. How can you say that after the court delivers its verdict and its explanation? Yeah, it's very odd, but I have to say if there's one person who has a whole lot to answer to in this whole situation and who repeatedly refused to show transparency, um, to appear as a witness at the Public Order Emergency Commission, even though he clearly had relevant information about the different measures that Ontario was taking um, in response to the situation in Ottawa, because Ottawa contrary to popular opinion, yes, it's the seat of the federal government, but it is a city in Ontario. So it fell squarely within Mr. Ford's jurisdiction. Um, and I can surmise that he knows that it would be very politically unsavory for him to explain the actions that he took or didn't take. Um, so for me, this is just an act of cowardice to, to now say that he supports uh, the invocation of the act. Well, I would like to ask Mr. Ford about this, but he has steadfastly refused to appear on my program since becoming premier, whereas prior to his becoming premier, I could barely keep him off the program. So, well, politicians going to politician. That's all I can say. <laughs> Joanna, of those 10 points, we're never going to get through them at the pace I've been going. So let me just, um, let me run through the, through the headlines for them. And then if you can put it together for us as a package, That'd be great. So the Emergencies Act is a tool of last resort. Number three. Number four, no threats to the security of Canada within the meaning of the act. Number five, economic harm is not a part of the threshold to invoke the act. Number six, banning mere attempts, attendance rather, at the protests violated freedom of expression. Number seven, the violation of freedom of expression was not a reasonable limit. Number eight, freezing bank accounts violated the right to be free of unreasonable search and seizure. Number nine, the search-seizure violation could not be justified under Section 1 of the Charter. And we'll get to number 10 when we wind up the segment. Can you just put all of that together? I'm, I'm, I, I apologize for just hitting you with all of that at once. No, no, no. I, this is what I do. So very quickly, the uh, last resort clause, we spoke about that earlier, just because it's convenient doesn't mean it's lawful. No threats to the security of Canada and the economic harm are actually kind of go hand in hand because the government had been claiming for threats to the security of Canada that economic disruption amounted to that standard. Um, that is not what the act says. The act says that you need a threat of serious violence to persons or property. So just economic inconvenience does not cut it within the meaning of the Emergencies Act. Um, then there are the measures that were taken subsequent to the indication. So the things about breaking up protests and freezing bank accounts. And Justice Mosley says, because there are people um, that just wanted to attend, for example, the convoy protests, although it also applied to protests across the country, just with a placard or a sign and peacefully protest protests who are not honking big rigs or, or blockading entrances to bridges. This was an overreach and it was unconstitutional violation of freedom of expression. It was not 
minimally impairing, meaning it could have been more tailored. Um, and as for the bank accounts, the government had argued that this didn't even constitute a search. Justice Mosley flat out rejected that. And he said because of the way that the RCMP was sending information of lists of designated persons, um, people that were thought to be leaders of the convoy or influencers associated with the convoy, and there was no objective standard. Usually, in order to seize property, like a bank account, you need a warrant, which is signed off on by an independent third party, such as a judge. Here, it was just a bare belief, bare assertion. Justice Mosley says, nope, that is an overreach. It also affected, by the way, people who had nothing to do with this at all. For example, spouses of people who were involved with the convoy who found themselves in a position where they couldn't access joint bank accounts to buy groceries or pay the bills. So thank God we now have a judicial precedent that says that was unacceptable. Uh, and I think I've I think I've tied that up into a neat package. You did a great job. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> so we drifted really from onerous to odious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, what do you think is going to happen now with the court cases well, associated with the Freedom Convoy? What happens now with the criminal charges? Well, so the criminal charges, for example, the criminal charges brought against Tamara Leach were not brought under the Emergencies Act. So those cases are not affected at all. Okay. Yeah. Now, what's very interesting, and we thank you for this, the court made point number 10. The court may not have reached these conclusions without the Canadian Constitution Foundation. Tell us about the role you played. Yeah, so we appeared as a public interest intervener. We are a legal charity that has specialized expertise in constitutional law and has a mandate of defending fundamental freedoms on behalf of all Canadians. Um, so we were able to bring a broad perspective and, you know, a, a specialized depth of knowledge in interpreting statutes and, uh, you know, delineating what the requirements of charter rights are. And what Justice Mosley says was there were some private individuals who also challenged the invocation of the act. And he says very clearly that he found their advocacy to not be as helpful. Um, but I just, I, I really um, want to uh, tip my hat to Justice Mosley for being incredibly transparent that at the outset of the hearings, he was leaning towards the government side, but in listening to, to the facts and evidence and argument and keeping an open mind um, and being sort of intellectually honest, um, thanks to the excellent advocacy of the CCF, as well as the Civil Liberties Association and our excellent lawyers, um, he he did what a judge was just, is supposed to do, which is take an impartial, intellectually honest view of the law and the facts. Come to his conclusion. Joanna, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Great conversation with you. Joanna Barron is the executive director of the Canadian Constitution Foundation. If you want to hear more, subscribe to the Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, 
and all podcast platforms.